Okay, the rest of you that have to stay in Big People's Church, sorry. Would you take your Bible and turn to Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 19. Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 19. As we continue verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah, uh, we're in chapter 5 now. As I've already prayed, you know that what we're going to be talking about this morning is the issue of leadership. Uh, kind of fits in a little bit with what I had in my Sunday school class this morning, so I'm happy for that. But there's two words that have to go together when we're talking about leadership, and that is leadership must go together with servanthood. Those are big issues to God. And I know they're big issues because he trains us everywhere in the Word of God, how to be the kind of leader that he wants us to be. And I really mean I would like this to be for everybody. Uh, if you're a leader at, at the place where you work, if you're a leader in a small Bible study, wherever you might be a leader, to take this to heart and be the kind of leader that God wants you to be. All right, we know is uh, very, very opinionated on the issue of leadership, and he wants it done a certain way. He wants us to know that the greatest among us will be the servant of all. He also wants us to know that whoever exalts himself or herself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Jesus Christ said that himself in Matthew 23, 11 and 12. Jesus also said, and I'm looking at Luke 9:48b. he said this, For the one who is least among you, this is the one who is great. Now, isn't that funny? The word, world doesn't think like that. The world doesn't teach like that. Uh, we look at leaders, and we're supposed to call them great leaders and wonderful leaders, and uh, we don't usually talk about their humility and those kinds of things. Then going on in this, Luke chapter 22, verses 25 and 26 says this, And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. In other words, in a place of authority, they are benefiting from the people that uh, they are ruling over, probably monetarily and every other way. But it is not this way with you. So Jesus says to his servants, that's the way the world does leadership, but with you, it is not going to be that way. That's not how Christians lead. It's not going to be that way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become the youngest and the leader like the servant. And then one more, finally, in Mark 9.35, it says this, Sitting down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Uh, what is it like to have a leader like this? What is it like to serve under somebody that is being that kind of a leader? I have wondered often what would America be like if all of our Washington politicians, and I don't mean to say they're all this way, they're not, we have some really good people up there that are fighting hard for our freedoms and other issues that we are for. But what would it be like if all our Washington politicians went to serve us and keep their word instead of building up their own empires and portfolios off of the flock of America? What if they had a different agenda, and that was to serve and do the right thing? It would change everything in America as we know it. Well, thank Jesus, we do have some people that are fighting for godly things and godly rights in our country, and right now we need that uh, more than ever. 
Uh, do you happen to have a leadership role somewhere? Doesn't matter how big or how small. Uh, are you a leader in something? Even in school, sometimes uh, they used to, I used to not like this at all when you put groups together to do group work in class because it seemed like everybody uh, would, would want me to do it and they were happy to watch me do it while they goofed off and then uh, we, we had to turn in something. It seemed like that always happened to me. I didn't like that. I would rather not be in a group. But if you're in a group like that, even at school, uh, you could be a leader there and you could exercise this kind of servanthood. So I want to ask you this question. As I ask myself often, what kind of a leader are you? What kind of a leader are you being in whatever situation that might be? Because Christianity permeates every situation that we are in, and it's to, it's to color everything that we do. So I may be a leader in a secular area. God still wants me to be a godly leader in that particular situation. Now, we've come to Nehemiah chapter 5, and we've been talking about uh, them, uh, they, they, they've been working hard to get the wall done, remember? And now we're down in verse 14. And we find out that there are some things going on among the believers back in Jerusalem that should not be happening, and that's in the way they treat other people that are also uh, their Jewish brothers. So it's, it's still that way, and we're in verse uh, 14 of chapter 5. And what it says is this, Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, for 12 years neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine and besides 40 shekels of silver. And he means that every day. Even their servants dominated or domineered the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. So let's just pick that little uh, nugget up for a minute and understand this. We act the way we do because we have a fear of God. We want to please him. We want to serve him. We don't want to mess with him because God is in control. Jesus himself said, I want to tell you who to fear in life. Don't fear somebody that can just kill your body and then can't do anything to you. I'll tell you whom you should fear. Fear God, because after you die this death, he has the power to put you in hell or in heaven. That's the one you should fear. Fear can be healthy in a lot of ways, and this is one of those ways. Out of fear of God, Nehemiah did the right thing. People that don't do the right thing, who don't do what God wants them to do, have no fear of God. They have relegated him off to something that is inconsequential. In verse 16, I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. He means diplomatic envoys and others that would come. Since he's now the governor, he would have to entertain them. Verse 18, now that which was prepared for each day was one ox, six choice sheep, also birds were prepared for me, and once in ten days all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on this people. So he said, I'm doing what I'm doing because I fear God, but also because I love the people. And what I love about the people is that they're struggling hard to do what God wants them to do. 
Some of them are going without some food right now, and that's a tragedy. And since the taxation is so heavy, the days are so hard, I have my own resources. I am not going to take money from them, and I'm not going to lay burdens on them. I'm going to help them, and I'm going to be a part of the solution. That's because he cared about people and what they were under. Then verse 19, Remember me, O my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. That's kind of a weird little statement, isn't it? It's like somebody saying, hey, God, look how good I am, and I want you to notice. Well, that's not Nehemiah's heart at all. I think Nehemiah wants other people to know I am not living the way a normal, ungodly person would live. I'm doing something different, and God is going to remember me for that, and I know he will, and God will reward me for that. And I think that even Nehemiah knew that back in his day. Remember me, oh my God, for the good that I did. It can also mean that he wants God to take action on what he is doing so that his work is going to be multiplied. And that's the way I'd like us to think about it today. All right, now if you're following along in your bulletins, let's look at verses 14 to 15. What we're going to learn here is that leaders who fear God exist to serve people, not to create hardship for them. Now, there are leaders that, uh, because of their greed and because of other things, uh, they want, wanting to be liked by everybody, uh, they are going to use other people and actually create hardships on them. Uh, there are multi-million dollar evangelists on TV who have people that don't have enough money to buy their food that are giving everything they can uh, to support this ministry and this person. Uh, you would think that these people would understand that, and they'd do something about it, and help those people so that they weren't in that condition. In verse 14a, Nehemiah had been appointed the governor of the province of Judea. Now, we don't know when. We don't know how that happened. This is the first time it's been mentioned. So now he is also not just the leader of the Jews, but he's also a provincial leader. He leads under the government of Artaxerxes, so he has some power and authority in his leadership. And this would have been by appointment uh, by Artaxerxes directly, or at least it was signed off by King Artaxerxes, uh, and uh, that's because he's the king of this land. He's the king over Judah, and those things don't happen without his approval. You just can't help but think that Artaxerxes really liked Nehemiah. He was his cupbearer, remember. He trusted him, and he would put his life in his hands every day because there's always somebody trying to kill an ancient king. And he trusted Nehemiah. He liked him so much, he let him leave for years and years to go work on the wall in Judah. This is an official position then in the kingdom of Artaxerxes where Nehemiah, he's going to have to answer the king for his decisions and what he does in that situation. Along with the position came some perks, which is uh, normal for different positions. Some people are CEOs of big companies. There are certain perks with that. Uh, They have certain bank accounts that they can use for business and other things. And there's perks all the way down, like uh, life insurance being paid for and other perks that you get, like days off and vacation. Uh, Perks are everywhere. And this position came with perks. One was that uh, he... Uh, had a fringe benefit of being able to take from the province the food that he needed for him and his government officials. It was his right to take it. As governor, that was your right. You could take some taxation from that, and you could take care of the food. It's going to be expensive, and, and that's a perk. And you have that right. However, that right is not what he's going to take. He's going to take another right. Nehemiah wants the people to know that he and his staff and his brothers have not utilized that right in their service of the people of Judah. 
There's something going on. I don't know what it is. Does it sound loud in here? Okay, well, I hope it doesn't blow up, whatever happens. All right. Uh, Nehemiah wants, Pete wants the people to know that he and his staff, we're not taking those things. We're not doing those things. We're taking care of you, and we're going to take care of ourselves. Remember that Nehemiah has been doing what he's been doing to alleviate the suffering of the people of Judah. If you jump back up into verse 8, uh, it's just one example of, of what he was actually doing. So let's look at that for just a second. He says, I said to them, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Remember what he said last week? You are taking the, the land and the collateral for the loans that you're giving people who are actually starving to death. They're selling their sons and daughters into indentured slavery so they can make enough money uh, to maybe pay off their debts. And also, you're taking their collateral, using it for yourself. How do you expect them to pay off their debt? They can't. And Nehemiah said, not only are we not doing that, we're paying other people's debts and they get to keep their land. Well, that's a big deal. And he's allowing people to actually resume work on their own farms, debt-free, and they're able to get ahead. Now we learn that he further eliminates a burden by taking care of his own staff and other officials by feeding them at his own personal expense. This is no small thing. We're talking about 150 people that he feeds every single day. It seems that Nehemiah is somehow financially able uh, to not be a financial burden on the people, but rather a help. God doesn't put everybody in that position. God doesn't give everybody enough money that they have so much excess they could help other people. Others are struggling for whatever reason. Nehemiah has some kind of financial support behind him. We don't even know what it is. And in the New Testament, Paul gives ministers that choice as well. Now, Paul chose to do his own work and not be paid by the churches. In 1 Corinthians 9, I think I want to read verses 3 to 12. So this brings us to our day. Do you pay a pastor? Do you not pay a pastor? Uh, what do you do? Does the pastor have a right to be paid for ministry, or does he not have a right? And that's what Paul is answering here. Uh, in chapter 9, 1 Corinthians verse 3. I don't remember if I said that or not. Anyway, that's where I'm at. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas or Peter? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of that vineyard? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law say these things also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for your sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher ought to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right. Now he's talking about him and Barnabas. But we, in, we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So what that basically is saying, Paul says, I have a right to get paid by the churches. And it's not just the other apostles, even Peter, that has that right, but I do too, and so does Barnabas. 
But Paul chose rather not to be a burden on the churches, and he was a tent maker. There are people uh, not, not far from this church here in, in our area that are tent makers. And what that means is they can only uh, pastor part-time because they have to work a, a job so they can do their ministry. Now, that has a lot of uh, benefits to it. It has some very uh, big detriments to it. And one of them is that you might be at work doing something when somebody in the church needs you and you can't be there for them. It might mean you can't get off of work when there's a funeral and you should be there doing the funeral. And if you get off work, you might lose your job. Uh, It's kind of a mess. Uh, You've chosen to pay me. You take good care of us. There's things we try to do to help out and do back. Uh, taking care of things. I've, you know, I've, I've unplugged a lot of toilets. I've put in a lot of toilet flappers. I've helped install toilets. I, I do that stuff. I haven't called you for that. I do things like that because I want to help, and I want to be uh, worth something to you besides just, just in the pulpit. But that's where we're at today. Verse 15a, there were governors between Ezra and Nehemiah who did take advantage of the governor's allowance. He indicates that they took from the people an allowance for food and wine, but further that they also took 40 shekels of silver every day uh, from the people as kind of a tax to support him and whoever his his cabinet was. Now that's about a a, a pound of silver each day by the shekel's weight of that day, and that's quite a bit. Further, they also apparently allowed their servants whom served along with the governor to also dominate the people and take things from them. So who knows how much they were taking from uh, these, these Israelites here in this case. Nehemiah did not do this himself. He did not allow his cabinet members, his officials, to do this to the Jews. He says that it was by reason of the fear of God. Uh, would it change things if our civil leaders led with a fear of the living God in their hearts. I think it would change everything. Nehemiah is well aware that he was sent by God to build a wall, and he's to do it around God's city. He did not come to profit as the pagan leaders came to do. He will answer to God for his leadership and doing what God instructed him to do. His eye is on God for the sake of the people. Dr. Nicolation said this sentence, Fearing God means that I embody God's values. Fearing God means I embody God's values. How can somebody tell if you fear God or not? Well, they can tell by how you treat the Word of God and what you say about what it says. If you can read something in the Word of God and say, well, I understand the Bible says that, but I'm not going to do that, then you don't fear God. If you read something and say, you know what, I really don't like that, but if that's what God says, I'm going to do it no matter what, then you do fear God, and that's the way God wants it to be. Nehemiah was a man who feared God. You could tell by his values. So to eliminate a burden, Nehemiah refused the privilege that he had that was rightfully his. Now in verse 16, the believing leader needs to be willing to do the work he asks others to do and not take resources away from the people that he serves. All right? Does no good to beat people down that are already poor and can't feed themselves. Uh, They need help, and uh, this is what Nehemiah was willing to do. We don't know how much Nehemiah was worth, and we don't know how he came by his wealth. We mentioned that, but we do know that he's using what God gave him to help other people. He was there to help people, not to exploit people. He used his wealth to free people and to advance others in life. The point is that he could have purchased land for himself like the other creditors were doing, but instead he left it for others in hopes they could. 
Some say this is referring to him buying ground from people in debt for taxes, which would have ended up in many times as a takeover of their ground. He had no desire to take your ground from you. He had no desire to remove your collateral from you. The text doesn't say that, that he would take stuff like that. It says he wouldn't. The tenor of the conversation is that he is demonstrating that he is putting others first. So we're hearing over and over that a leader, if a leader is God's leader, he's a servant. She's a servant. The other issue is that he was a hands-on leader who was willing to work like his people were working. Uh, The people on his staff were also helping with the work as regular workers. Now, I have uh, worked in my life many times for managers, some of department stores and other places like that, who would not lift a finger to do the work that I was asked to do. Wouldn't help with it. Was, they were glad to tell you, go do this. They were glad to say, this is how I want it done. Uh, but even if they saw that you needed help, wouldn't, wouldn't lift a finger to do anything to help me. And it was not fun working for people like that who required things of me that they, and fellow workers who they would never do. They acted like the work that we were doing, and thus we were beneath them and uh, weren't worth much. And so you just get it done. I don't want to hear about it. But I also have worked for others who would never ask me, and they told me that, I will never ask you to do something I won't do. Never. And uh, I'll be there to help you do the, the dirty and, and bad stuff that we have to do, you know, like cleaning a calf stall or cleaning out moldy corn out of a grain bin or something like that. I appreciate a boss like that, and I think you would too. And I'd rather work for somebody like that, somebody that cares. Nehemiah could be found during the day working on the wall. The people that served in his cabinet, where could they be found? Working on the wall. And that's what we would like to see in godly leaders. In verses 17 and 18, despite great personal expense, leaders serve with others in mind first. All right? Leaders incur expenses to lead. And this is Nehemiah's position right here. In verse 17, Nehemiah, despite his expense, was host every day, get this, hosted every single day, 150 Jewish people and officials. 150 a day plus any foreign dignitaries who lived around Judah who just happened to show up that day at mealtime. It was his job to take them in and to feed them. Uh, What this demonstrates to people is the enormous expense that Nehemiah was having to lay out, out for them that he had every right to take from the people, but he decided he wouldn't do it. So, um, how would you like to host and feed 150 people every day? Probably not, right? Uh, you, you better have some help if you did. I think even if you had the money, that'd get pretty old pretty quick. And it would get very expensive. In verse 18, he went to great expense and trouble in feeding the government people because the servitude on the Jews that he was serving was already so heavy. All right, here is what he served every day. Now, the perk here is every 10 days, they had some extra wine and stuff to drink. Uh, But why that's only every 10 days? Probably because there's a famine in the land and we're having trouble. But every single day, he's going to feed 150 people. One commentator said of this, uh, that if you take the food that he's making and you average it out today, so I think he must be talking about South Florida people, not Nebraska people, 
uh, you could feed about 600 people a day with that. I'm just kidding about Nebraska people. It's okay. Uh, I love them too. Uh, look what he's feeding these folks because they show up to his table. He had every day somebody slaughtered an ox, and then they slaughtered six choice sheep, and also a number of uh, unnamed or unnamed and unnumbered birds uh, also for the meal. And every ten days all sorts of wine was furnished in abundance. Yet he said, I didn't charge you a thing for that. That's a lot. Look what Solomon did to feed people every day. Go back with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 4. Now, Solomon had obviously a considerably larger government than Nehemiah ever, ever did. So 1 Kings 4. Pretty sure this Bible has that chapter. There we go. First Kings chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour. Now, there's disputes among scholars about how big a core was. It was either 10 bushels per core or 6 bushels per core. So, uh, so that's going to be 128 bushels by 6 or 300 by 10. So Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed oxen, because there's people in those days that would only eat grass-fattened cattle. <laughs> and 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. Unbelievable what had to be on the plate every day in these guys' uh, homes. Well, we should make decisions based upon how it will affect our family. And I'm not necessarily talking about your family, uh, your, your little group that we call a family. When Nehemiah looks out his window, he sees his family. They are the children of God. They are his friends, the Jews, who came with him, and they're building that wall. That's the family he's talking about. The point is, partly, that Nehemiah means that the people he served uh, generally did not have much, and he was there to help them. They were his family. Uh, Dr. Nicolation said again, Nehemiah relinquished income. He is due and bears expenses for which he is not obligated. And that's the point. Finally, in verse 19, we work to lay up treasure in heaven and not on earth. I think that uh, his prayer in this place is a statement of faith in God, that putting others first will be remembered by God in heaven. Being the kind of leader God wants you to be is going to be remembered in heaven, and you will gain reward where it counts in heaven. Uh, this view sees the world's goods as they really are, and that is temporary. God has placed in front of us the world's goods, and he said, what I want to do is I want you to use the goods that I give you to further the kingdom of God. We're going to see in the world people that have all kinds of resources and goods that further their own kingdom. And Jesus said, that's the way the unbelievers, that's the way the Gentiles act. But with you, it's different. You're going to use everything that you have for the honor and the glory of God and for building his kingdom. 
And that's the big difference for us. And we know that God is not going to forget. God will know everything that we did and that attitude that we had. So there's a few verses there. I'd like us to look those up together. The first one is Matthew 6, 19. I'm talking about there in your bulletin. That's where I'm getting at. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Isn't that funny? People do it every day. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why one look at your credit card bill is going to show you where your heart really is and where it is not. We used to say checkbook, but those, I don't even see those anymore. Go to Hebrews, if you would, chapter 6 and verse 10. This says, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work. Relax, Nehemiah. God does see. He will reward. He knows what you're doing. For God is not unjust to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. Sometimes you show love to, to the family and nobody ever knows it. Nobody sees it. They don't know what you're doing. But you do it just because you love them. God saw it. God knows. God will take care of that. For God is not unjust to forget the work that you and I have done, the love which we sh- had shown towards others in his name, and having ministered in all and, in, and still ministering to the saints. Uh, appropriately, that we had an announcement uh, earlier in Sunday school that uh, one of our flock is going to meet here next Saturday morning and needs help on working around the front of the church. She needs pickups, shovels, rakes, and uh, people to haul stuff. Now, there's an opportunity that we can see, you know, if somebody wants to dig in and be a leader like that. Opportunities like that come up all over, but it doesn't have to be because somebody has made a day to do that. Uh, you can do that anytime you want. And Nehemiah was a guy that was doing that all the time, and God notices and God sees. 1 John 3.17 is be our last one with this. First John 3.17 But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Obviously a rhetorical question. The answer is it can't, it doesn't abide in him if that's the way that he would act. And friends, God will not forget anything that you do in the name of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 9 and verse 41, into a different context, but the same truth. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, in other words, because you're a Christian, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. So we do things in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, here's some things I want us to learn. Number one, as God defines leadership, and that's the key... Um, There's many leaders, there's thousands of books on leadership, but this is the one we stick with, our Bible. As God defines leadership, he means a true leader is a servant of others. A true leader is a servant of others. 
Perhaps one of the greatest servant leaders uh, that, that ever lived was a man by the name of Mahatma Gandhi. And he was a great leader. The difference is his leadership was temporary. It didn't last. It had no eternal value. Jesus gives us eternal purpose with his leadership. And he was greater than any, any human leader that has ever been. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was humble. He was loving. And he was constantly working to bring people into the kingdom. His was eternal value. Remember when you lead like Christ wants you to lead. There is eternal value in the way that you're leading. And you have eternal things to offer to people uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we learn here that we must lead by example. And we do what Nehemiah did. We work hard and we put other people first. That's what Nehemiah did. It never says in the text that he got tired of doing that. We're not going to see him quit doing that. Clear through the end of the book. Because, because good leaders don't quit. Good leaders don't stop doing what good leaders are supposed to do, but they work hard and they work to put other people first. Thirdly, obviously we are to help people, not exploit people. So you're not going to find us showing up at a disaster scene like when a tornado goes through somebody's farm place or through a town, we're not going to show up uh, with a couple of bottles of water in the back of our car, run around looking for the newspaper people taking a picture, and, and show your servanthood by giving people a, you know, here's a bottle of water. Get your picture done. I'm out of here. I have things to do. <laughs> and we know that we have government officials that have done just that. I need to get there long enough to get my picture taken. By the way, I need people to help me give out this water. I can't do that on my own. Uh, and... They're in it for the wrong reason. That's not what we as Christians do. We're not there for getting our uh, picture in the newspaper uh, to hand out water. I won't forget what Jan Cohn said to Noel and I in Africa. Uh, we had taken a lot of stuff from you guys uh, to give out, right? And somebody made, was it, were those scarves for the women? Like a, all right, White Cross made some scarves to give to the women. And so we had a bunch of those. And we, we showed Jan that, and we said, hey, Jan, uh, we want to give these to the women uh, that you think need them. And she said, oh, okay. And she said, well, we'll set something up where uh, you can give them out to the women and, you know, maybe we can get a picture and send back home. And I thought, uh-uh. Whoops, no, no. I said, we didn't bring them so we could give them out. We brought them for these ladies we don't know who they are. We don't know who needs them. And said, so we want you to give them out. She said, are you sure you don't want your picture taken? Everybody that comes and brings something, they want their picture taken. They said, we don't want our picture taken. That's what they're used to. So we gave her all these scarves that you made, which is what you wanted us to do. And then as she had need in her ministry there in the Central African Republic with those people uh, in the town we were in, she would give them out and say, there's some people in America that care about you. And I think that's the way it ought to be. Finally, this. Our fear of God, and that's biblical, right? That's, that's verse 15. There's nothing wrong with that. Our fear of God determines how we will treat others. And by the way, if you don't fear God, you won't treat him well either. Let's fear God. Let's be the kind of leaders he wants us to be. Well, somehow I've mistakenly got done early. So I apologize for that. But let's pray.
Heavenly Father, it's not easy to lead people. I think probably every, every adult in here knows what that's like. We know it gets to be tiring. Sometimes people don't appreciate what we're doing. Sometimes they criticize what we've done or what we're doing. I just pray that you would help us to remember why we're doing it. We're doing it because you asked us to do it. We're doing it in the way we're doing it because you set the example for that. And then you showed us great believers like Nehemiah who really did it. And I pray that we would have a longing in our heart to be those kinds of leaders. That we would do it because you gave us the position. And it's to you that we will answer. And it's you we want to please. So I pray that we could get ourselves out of the way. And we could just serve other people because other people are important to us. They matter to us because they matter so much to you. So I ask that we would take this to heart and bury it down deep so we don't lose it, but draw from it as a well that we would call where the fear of God lives. And that's where we draw out and do what he calls us to do. We thank you, Lord, for instructing us and teaching us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.